0: Okay, not an NPC, not a legendary creature, nothing that has a specific unique name like the croak toak. Sure. Okay? No humanoid or mob type creature. When you run into a single creature out in the world, a solo monster. Which one is your favorite D&D monster that like you think of when you're like a solo one? There's no intelligence level, there's no strategy. Sure. What's the what's the monster?
1: got a six. There two. What you got? One of my favorite monsters in D&D is a solo monster, and that is the owlbear. Um, It's so classic. It it is, right? What do you got? Rust monster, motherfucker. Oh, God, of course. Yeah, I'm out there to really mess your day up. You know what? The cockatrice is pretty cool, too.
0: It's a mimic. The Roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get.
1: Welcome to an episode that acts... As a counterpoint to the conversation on mob mentalities that we've been having for the last few months, we've spent half a year in COVID times, reaching out to our friends from around North America so that we could break down the humanoids in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition that make up the various hordes, mobs, tribes, hosts, armies, houses, cults, packs, and war bands. I'm Dan, and with me today is Adam, and this episode is called Solo Monsters, the very scary, legendary, solitary adversary. I know you like the rhymers, so I I gave you a rhyming, well there you go. In this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the general tactics and strategies, the general tactics and strategies, mind you, that Dungeon Masters should use when running D&D 5th Edition, specifically when running solo tank-style creatures. We'll be focusing on the big creatures that your party will likely encounter out in the wild, but first, let's talk about what we're not covering. First of all, when most people think about solo monsters in D&D, they think about the dragons and beholders and you know these these monstrous single creatures right well they're the icons right yeah yeah. i mean they're on the cover of our monster manuals and on our books i mean hell it's half of the fucking title but we're gonna be steering clear of those mostly because they're considered legendary creatures that means they have legendary resistances and legendary actions And they usually have a layer with complementary layer actions. These kind of creatures already get a lot of attention in the source books and they usually have a unique, well thought out tactics and stratagems that are designed to be very unique. So we'll be covering the legendary creatures in our regular monster series because there's so much information there, they need covering on their own. We've already covered some other iconic big bads of D&D, like Beholders, Astral Dreadnoughts, the Tarask, and other big uglies like them in other previous episodes. And, just as a little preview for all you excited keeners out there, we have Illithids, Giants, Hags, all coming up in the future of those discussions. If you're looking for dragons, well, we've got a conversation on dragons that circles back around every so often as well. And we're already a dozen or so episodes deep on their specific details. You can find all of these episodes by checking the episode guide on Reddit or by checking out the playlists on the It's a Mimic YouTube channel. This brings me to the idea of the other three kind of creatures we will not be focusing on today. We're going to skip any named creatures, like the Tromocratis from Theros or Dweeblex, the Demon Lord of Oozes. Like, we're not going to be doing any of your demon lords, any of your... Straws or, like, nothing... Yeah, nothing nothing huge or named. Um, We're also going to be steering clear of mobs like... Thank God. Orcs, zombies, and kobolds, because we've been covering them for the past several months. We don't need to touch on them today. If you're looking for strategies on intelligent solo creatures, well, just wait another week. Yeah, we'll get to that next week. We'll get to that next week. Today, we are going to be looking into the general DM tactics for creatures that you're likely to find facing the party alone. This is your odiogs, your owlbears, your leviathans, your rocks, your purple worms, right? Generally speaking, if it doesn't have a language or basic sentience, that is what we will be covering today. That is pretty much what they say in the Yawning Portal is anything with an int of 5 or above has some general sentience, We're going to be looking at these big, hard-hitting solo monsters that are below that point.
0: There are a couple that are going to be, I mean, like five or six intelligence, but like the low end of that, because it's all gray area,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, you're going to look at it and see like your monster types, we're not going to be touching on any humanoids, any giants, any dragons. Exactly. They're Um, all intelligent. They're all intelligent. Uh Some of the aberrations are out of the list as well, well, but... Well, I mean, all of the others have some
0: intelligent and some not intelligent, except for, I think, beasts. I'm not Mm. sure there's any intelligent beasts. I don't think so either. Unless you've awakened it, but... um, Then it's
1: not... Well, I guess it still is a beast at that point. Yeah,
0: but we'll talk about intelligence and that kind of strategy and whatnot next week.
1: Yeah, this week we purely want to talk about your big dumb solo monsters. So, Adam, before we get into anything when you get to the big dumb solo monsters there is a sense of uniformity among them that is present uh, a lot of them share a similar tactic a, t- a similar feel what to you are the general motivations of a uh unintelligent solo monster like your 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 purple worms or your odiogs like what is their main for the most part...
0: Now, you'll notice that every time that we talk about them, we list monstrosities, right? Yeah. But there are others out there. So, for the most part, we're talking about your fight or flight, your your fucking fight mentality, yeah. your yeah. live today, eat today, run today so that I can I can live tomorrow. I don't like any sort of these solo monsters that will fight to the death.
1: No, I mean, some of them make some sense, and and we'll get right? into that Depending because what their motivation yeah, is. Yeah, we'll
0: get into that. But for the most part, I think that the majority of D and D creatures that are not intelligent, they they live on instinct. You'll see that their intelligence is low, but their wisdom is pretty freaking high, mm-hmm. high enough that you should be able to figure out that they are either stealthy and ambushy, or they are able to um, move in a pack, or like they have their own tactics built in. Yeah. Most dungeon masters don't read the flavor text. <laughs> they just look at the stat block and think they know the creature.
1: Yeah. Oh, this thing's got a spear attack. That means it loves its spear. Oh, well. Um...
0: Yeah. There, there's a lot more to that. And if you actually dig into it, there is some hidden stuff in and among the um, the stats as well. But the flavor text gives you most of it already.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really going to support whether or not you're throwing the appropriate creature in the appropriate space. With so many of these creatures and the fact that we have been breaking down stat blocks over and over and over and over again for the past six months. Or however long it's been. It feels like it's been six months. It's been about six months. It's been like 20 episodes. So, because there are so many to go and we've done so many stat blocks, we're not so much going to be breaking down stat blocks today...
0: I, I do want to ask, though. Intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Sure. This is the part where people will tend to get confused when it comes to tactics. Obviously, if you're strong, you stand and bang. If you are... Dexterous, if, you... Then you are ambushy, stealthy, right? In Agile. and out, right? Yeah. Or maybe maybe there's a ranged attack. If you've got constitution, you're willing to,
1: to beef T- it up a little yeah, more. You, you can take a hit.
0: Or you're in some sort of extreme environment, mm-hmm. right? But... When it comes to intelligence, wisdom, and charisma, people will look at intelligence and say, "Oh, it's dumb." But there are some dogs I know that are smarter than some people I know, right? And there oh, are—we've heard some of those people on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I Dang. would say that uh, that some things like um, the way that jackals move sure. when they hunt and whatnot probably more intelligent than three average commoners. Yeah, the way that they work together and that tends to rely on wisdom. Charisma is about reading people. Wisdom is about reading a scenario and the environment and the situation. And intelligence is really just how well read you are. Mm-hmm. Do you understand a language? Do you have critical thought? But critical thought is not necessarily what you need when you're running animals that run on instinct
1: and experience. Uh, the raptors from Jurassic Park would be the example I would have of high-int beasts. Yeah. Because they, they, they figured out if I turned this handle, I could open this door and attack the children in a kitchen. Yeah,
0: but you know what? I'm going to give an uh, like an octopus really high wisdom and low intelligence. Because those guys are like... You can see they will camouflage in. They will ride the back of a fish that's hunting them and stuff. That's not based on how smart they are. That is based on
1: the scenario that's given to them and the safest way to deal with it. I see what you're saying there. I mean, I've always just... For octopuses specifically, I like having them as high-end creatures just because it, it fits for me. But... But they're not going to read a book. But they're not going to read a book, right? Uh, it, your your six-inch... I've played a barbarian with less than six-inch. But your six-inch octopus isn't going to suddenly be swimming around with a top hat and a monocle.
0: No, I think about it like this. Um, your mice are going to be able to be trained to hit the blue button to get food. They've adapted to the scenario. So it's the
1: wisdom that goes up. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that Let's talk about general tactics for these guys real quick. And let's do that with the good old-fashioned rolling of dice. I've got a couple things here that I want to specifically target when talking about a general idea for these lower intelligence, high wisdom possibly, solo monsters. So let's roll the dice. And I want to talk about their motivation for existing. Like, what is their motivation for the fight? I got a natural 20. I
0: I got an 18. Hold on. When you say for existing, you don't mean like... Well, uh, a mummy baboon and a daddy baboon. No, I'm. I mean, like, like, why did you, as a dungeon master, put them here in this room? E- exactly. Like a meta reason for right?
1: existing. Okay. For me, it's you mentioned it with the fight or flight or fucker or flight, right? Like the motivation of a monster is going to be, or or of a solo creature is going to be its gut or the organs below its gut, right? It is either hungry or horny. It's one of the two. Now when you're playing that out if a meal is too difficult if a conquest is too difficult they will give up uh no but you're, you're right honestly i would not add the fuck or flight aspect. not 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 to i mean uh, odiog yeah there's no, a mental uh, image for you the,
0: don't put that around your your dungeon master like your fucking D table but <laughs> but hunger is a major motivating factor yep, yep. and you have to remember too that that hunger, like there are predators, but that doesn't mean that they are stupid. Mm-hmm. Um my my number one thing that I look at when it comes to um the reason that they are there is the history of the, the creature type. Like why am I putting it here? Why is this fight happening? Okay. So for example, if um let's take a stag, so a non-predator. Sure. Right? Who is in some sort of you know it, it operates in and among ruins and whatnot. And every time that humans come by, it gets attacked. It's covered in scars. Every time that humanoids are there, yep. it's going to bail. It's going to book it. It has learned this idea, the idea of its own personal history, its experience. And then overall, kind of the larger experience as well, like um, uh, small, low creatures will keep their eyes up to the sky to watch out for you know large predatory birds sure. and whatnot yep. as well. So the reason that we have, let's say, giant centipedes in the caves is because there's no natural predators there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they instinctively know that there are no natural predators here. So the reason why I'm putting creatures in different places is because of this learned intelligence. It's it's not smart, it's just habitual well, this, this, survival. Yeah,
1: this 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 is the reason why survival is a wisdom-based skill. Yes. Right? I was going to say like a lot of uh motivation of why I have a certain beast or monstrosity or whatever it is in that space is also uh, external convenience, right? Uh, A lot of these lower intelligence creatures can be domesticated and then are either tied up or are left or are abandoned to do a job, right? And that will wind them up in a situation where when your party comes up, they are going to be in that space. Now, this is going to be a lot of your undead are in that same boat. A lot of your constructs, a lot of your beasts. A
0: lot of elementals, too, in Eberron and yeah, stuff as well.
1: Yeah. It's Yeah. These are low-intelligence uh, creatures that have a function to perform. And they're, that is why they're there.
0: They're like beasts of burden, even yeah. if they're not beasts. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a good reason to come across them. Um, honestly, when I think about them attacking out of the blue, I think about red. And by that, I mean, I think about bulls and the red cape that gets waved in their face. A lot of animals have triggers, right? You think about when you go fishing, the different lures that you use, depending on the kind of fish and the kind of water that you're in. You have some that are shiny and you have some that are dull colored, but pink because it catches light in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You're worried about the speed of the lure moving through the water. Does it bob at the top or does it move under the surface? Because you're mimicking different bugs and whatnot, but the fish are dumb. They are fucking barely alive. Dumb. Right. And so the idea is that they are just triggered into reacting a certain way. Why don't we do that with, mon- with monstrosities or oozes? Oh, yeah. Hey. Right. Like we do it with animals. And I mean, I guess you could with plants if it ever came up. But some smart tables I've seen have done that to constructs. We're like, well, we know that it needs this and this because it's stuck on a loop. So if we do this thing, we can get past it. But why not for other creature types as well of low intelligence?
1: Well, I mean, you see with a lot of these professional hunters will know how to lure predators away from a prey that they're looking for, right? Or away from whatever it is they're hunting. And when I think of oozes, this is a brilliant idea with the leading them away from the room that they are quote unquote guarding. They're mindless. Even a black pudding, it has some intelligence to it, but it's not like, it's not that level where you can't just draw it away with food and let it do its thing and it's not going to come back, right? Speaking of that idea of drawing it away, let's talk about this territory thing. Let's roll right now and give two little insights about Solo Monster's territory and how to handle that as DMs. Another natural 20. Jeez, I got a Two 19. A
0: I got an 18 and a 19. I'm going last both times. Yeah. Uh, um,
1: this is payback for all of the... All the Wintowa win. and yeah. Sawaghan yeah. episodes. Um, so the main motivating factor to a lot of beasts specifically, some monst- monstrosities, and even some of the other aberration level stuff is going to be the area that they have claimed as their own. Whether it's a hunting ground, a birthing ground, a cave that it's that its home is or where that job that they have is going to take place. Understanding why that beast is there will help the encounter feel more real and f- make more sense to your players. Finding an odiog in the middle of the jungle doesn't make sense. Its territory is going to be somewhere dank and wet and full of sewage cuz it's a walking shit monster. It actually is. That is what it is. I love the odiog. But You have to be able to place these things properly, and that'll coincide with type and lore about the monster as well.
0: Honestly, when I look at the idea of territorialism and whatnot, there are the really basic ones, like this is the hunting ground, like you said. Mm -hmm. This is a game trail, this is a water supply, or a lot of times people say, this is the nest, and that's it, right? And so they give these kind of general ideas of boundaries, but they don't really think about it in the fourth dimension. They think about it in the first three. And the fourth dimension is the time of the day and the time of the year. A lot of creatures hunt at night. A lot of creatures, as I know from listening to Dave talk about hunting, they're active right at dawn and right at dusk. Mm -hmm. This is when you're going to get them moving around. It's the coolest part of the day and they get some stealth. Even the herbivores will will move around in there, right? The idea of the time of year, I'm not sure that you're going to get a whole bunch of um, lizards in the middle of winter. Yeah, that's fair. Right? You're not going to be fighting snakes unless you've created some sort of snow snake, right? Or or whatever He's it is. Snow snake. So I'm looking at the time as well, when they're the most active. This is going to allow my party to have more interesting and unique encounters with them um, because you're going to come across things that are sleeping or that are hunkered down or that may see you and not want to engage.
1: All right. So you mentioned this fourth dimension, this, this area of time and this concept of time and... It's kind of a disservice to not have Dave on the podcast because he's our resident hunter. And he knows that if you want to catch those beasts, if you're going bear hunting or deer hunting or whatever it is, you make sure you're at those times to best ambush them. Yep. Right? Because it's basically what hunting is. I'm going to get a lot of flack for that scene, but I don't care. Anyways, so... Figuring out whether or not a monster will ambush, how it will ambush, how it will engage in combat or initiate or respond. Let's talk to about that right now. Let's roll dice. Roll the
0: 10. 11. Okay, finally, I get to go first. So when I'm looking at a monster stat block, when I'm I'm going through and I'm trying to find the hints in there about whether or not this thing is a, a skirmisher or a stealthy fighter or a big tank type creature... I'm looking at its decks.
1: Okay. Decks and stealth.
0: Decks and stealth and dark vision. These are the hunting stats that you'll find in the stat block. Okay. And they're going to tell you when and where they're going to be doing this hunting as well. Most ambushers hit from the shadows. Unless they've got a camouflage feature. And that does exist sometimes, Mm -hmm. but not often. Right? So most of the time they're fighting from the shadow. And honestly, this is a game of slaying monsters. You're usually in the dark. Right? This is not called, you know bright, sunny fields and dragons, right? (laughs) So you should be doing a lot of this stuff in the dark from the shadows. So when I'm looking at if and when to engage, a bat may be sitting there inside the cave, looking out or aware of the thing that's out in the sunlight and not want to engage. It is daylight. But if it was after hours, they will come out. Sure. Right. And so it's the dark vision that's going to do that for me. My tiger has that high dex in the pounce. That is an ambush feature. Sure, yeah. But they're not going to stand and bang. They're going to pounce, hit, and then either carry their prey away with a grapple, or they're going
1: to then bound off into the wilderness again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're only going to stay and fight if they think they have the upper hand. Well, this this leads into what I look at when I look at a stat block and try to figure out how this monster is going to engage. I look at the type of attacks it has. With a lot of the beasts, a lot of the creatures out here, some of them have weapons, For the most, but for the most part, they're going to be attacking with their natural weapons, you can tell a lot by a creature on whether or not it bites and what kind of claw attacks it has or whatever, uh, if it's a slam or a claw or whatever that is. And what I mean by that is a creature is going to be hyper-aggressive if it has a bite attack. A bite attack is an incredibly aggressive level thing. It's so something that predators have. Predators have. Your creatures that may not be so aggressive in that in that sense are going to have just claw attacks. Or like a charge with horns or antlers, something like that. Yeah, a gouge or something, right? But like, they're going to have that, you know, get the fuck away level of, of attack rather than the I'm going to eat your face. Because fear is a massive motivator for a lot of these guys as well. And they just want to survive. And if you ran from the fight, they'd follow you to make sure you were running for so far. And then they would turn and run away from you. Being able to see what kind of attacks the monster has. That's kind of what I look into when I'm running these guys. Also, what their perception is. Yeah, their perception is is important. I think that a lot of
0: your prey is going to stand back and freeze. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to not engage. And they'll have to have a good freaking reason to. Yeah. Predators don't necessarily do that. But they will attack when it's right. For example, if there are pack tactics... I will never have any creature of any type that has the pack tactics uh, trait. Solo? Not even solo. If there are fewer of them than there are of the party, they won't do it. They're outnumbered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So even three wolves versus your four level one adventurers, even if you outclass them by CR, they probably won't do that because... They have evolved to
1: rely on this this idea of working as a team. Um, So when we're talking about when these guys finally do engage and and decide to engage, I want to know how you're picking and choosing, how your monsters are picking and choosing who they're attacking. Let's roll that.
0: All right, I got a 16. I got a 3. Yeah, you're back to normal now. You blew your natural 20s early. Um, Honestly, I'm going to be doing it based on physical description. Nine times out of 10... These creatures will aim for the smart or the smallest or weakest. Yeah. Or they will be slightly intelligent enough to know to go after the thing that is the biggest threat. If you have the bard, the rogue and the monk standing there in plain clothes and the barbarian smashing a hammer against a shield, they're going to go after that barbarian if they're aggressive enough.
1: Yeah. That's right. But a
0: lot of times if, if you have those exact same four kind of uh, of class types walking through like a hallway they'll pick off the bard or the rogue or the monk first
1: there's a reason why bards have a reputation for being a bit of a you know
0: well wizards too like these things when you're walking along in slippers they're going to pick you off even if that is a bad idea don't do that to a monk and you as a dm know that but they're still going to target a monk before they target two fighters and a barbarian right or the guy who's blowing fire out of his hands (laughs) <laughs> but stop and think, if the warlock smells like sulfur and brimstone, they're probably not going after that. And so I think about the goliath is probably a lot safer most of the time than the halfling is.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong. I also like looking at their motivations in terms of what it says in their lore. Um, cause a lot of monsters like hoarding their shiny objects, right? Yeah. Even the dumb ones do. Odiogs crows crows in our real world the crows do it right so whoever's going to have the biggest and shiniest armor or the biggest and shiniest weapon or the biggest and shiniest object that catches the fancy of the monster that's the thing they're going to attack first now if that proves too difficult it's not worth the fight
0: but and we're going to see this over and over again in this episode it's not worth the fight for most of these creatures yeah even your mimics and oozes and stuff it's not worth the fight i think a lot of mimics would sit back and just let it happen <laughs> right? Like I am a CR2 creature and that guy just shat out a meteor strike. I'ma sit still. Mm-hmm. Right? And it doesn't have to be a conscious train of thought, but I'm not I'm not engaging this.
1: Yeah, I'm hide, 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 hide,
0: hide. Yeah, you have to know when you're out match Yeah. Right. And if you don't have control over that, then you need to threaten outside of initiative. And this is something I don't see DMs do very often, is the idea of let's say that you are chasing a blink dog, for example who I think are actually intelligent.
1: Yes, they are, I believe. Um,
0: but let's say you're chasing a blink dog, and you get a, and it's running away. It knows it's outmatched. And then you get it up against a wall. Well, now it's going to turn and fight, right? If it has nowhere else to go. I know. I <laughs> you chose blink dog. blink dog, and it's like like the one that's the worst because
1: it just teleports on the other side of the wall. <laughs> assuming,
0: assuming it knows it's over
1: there. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. But right. like, no, I, I see what you're trying so, to say.
0: So you should sit there and look at um, how threatened they are. But threaten outside of initiative. They're going to be baring their teeth and growling before initiative starts. And that's the trigger of initiative. If I'm not ambushing,
1: every animal gives you some kind of heads up that this yeah, shit's going to pop off. I was going to mention that like far too little do I see DMs giving uh warning, intimidation tactics or something from an unintelligent creature um to kind of ward off the party. Like... Uh, a, a tiger or a wolf or something is going to bear its teeth and growl at you. And get low. And get low, right? If it doesn't want you to come close to it. And yeah. if you don't come close to it, it's not going to attack you.
0: Yeah, you need to watch out for that snake that starts to stand up a little bit. That leans it, its front section. And you hear oh.
1: the rattle going as a warning signal, the, signal, right?
0: Yeah, the the eyes of the shark flipping, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are some... It's usually bearing teeth then you'll see the displacer beast claws come out it, you shouldn't be seeing a displacer beast in the first place
1: but you get the vague uh impression of a displacer beast's claws popping yeah. out understanding the warning signs of your mobs because i mean beasts are easy we can look at beasts and be like here's their analog to the real world we know how to draw on that you start getting weird when you get into like the the aberrations and celestials and and elementals what's the warning sign for an elemental it, like, it increases the temperature around you. Yeah, like I, I guess it, it bubbles. <laughs> 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 yeah. All right. Uh, what about using the movement and action economy against the players when it comes to the beasts in single combat? Because now, yeah, you're at a disadvantage. You're at a disadvantage. <laughs> Fuck. Yep. Back to my old ways. That's a natural one. Okay. Well, my 18 is staying consistent here. So, um. Honestly, this is why it's painful to play a game's UDM. That, oh, look, this one crit against you. Again, this turn. You're welcome, Dan.
0: Um, So, honestly, the thing that I look for first um, when I'm looking at the action economy movement is I'm looking at whether or not they understand speed and threat. Okay. What I mean by that is you can always, always, no matter the creature, use your action to disengage or dash. If, you, if you've if you got a bull that is 80 feet away or a golem that is 80 feet away, it will know how far it can move in a round and how far it can sprint in a round. But it may not know how fast the monk can.
1: Mm-hmm. But it'll
0: know the average humanoid, right? So will it dash forward to close that distance? It wants to be the one to close the distance with an action available to it. It does not want you to be able to walk up to it. Nobody wants to get within 10 feet of you. And then let you have a turn. Ah, I, that you see this with animals—they'll stand back and they'll circle, and they will wait until your back is turned and your movement is limited, mm-hmm. and then they will—they will attack.
1: Yeah, right? I, I, I get what you're saying with that. Like, uh, you don't
0: see a whole lot of hawks just hovering
1: around about a foot off the ground. No, no, you're right. They're—they're going to strike when they feel like they have the advantage, um, which. They will have the disadvantage because of their attacks of opportunity. So, they're going to do their best if they are incredibly aggressive to separate the party out so that they gain the advantage in action economy. And
0: you don't have to be smart to divide and conquer. No. Like you can see baboons do it, right? Where they're trying, they will sit on the outskirts and they will try to get you to take three steps this way and then get between you and your allies, right? Yeah. To separate you, to get you further away, or they will sit there and wait to strike. This is the
1: ambusher again, right? That being said, and I know it's an optional rule that is at most tables, but not all because it is an optional rule. Uh, Most beasts and unintelligent creatures don't intrinsically know the idea of flanking.
0: No, and as a matter of fact, I would have, unless they have pack tactics, they don't get it.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you.
0: Um, I would say that the flanking makes a lot of sense for pack tactics, but at that point it's redundant. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And I think the pack tactics takes over that idea, Um, but most of them don't have the, the intelligence level to be able to disengage either. A lot will, you think cats, Mm -hmm. right? They will back up slowly and keep their eyes on you. But if you attack a rabbit, it will just turn and run. Yep. And that you will get to hit it <laughs> as it goes away. So be aware of that as well.
1: When will they disengage? When will they back up? Yeah, when when will they retreat out of it? I'm, I'm with you on that one. The other thing I want to impress is because a lot of these beasts, you will be attacking them in their home territory if they are that heavily territorial creature. They know the area around. They know the lay of the land better than your party does. And they will use that to their advantage. A Even a wolf will understand that The ground over there is soft and I shouldn't be going over there. However, if I could get on the other side of that soft ground, I will know that I can, you know, maybe slow that one of them down. Right? Like they will use the environment to their advantage.
0: To make that point even more abundant, you get different kinds of speeds. Climb, burrow, fly, swim. Swimming, yeah. This will be their preferred method for retreating. Yeah, okay. Right? This is the special thing that they can do. If there is a chimpanzee that feels threatened or a squirrel, it goes up a tree.
1: If you uh, threaten an alligator, it will go into the water. If, if you threaten a crow, it won't just bounce away. It will eventually, eventually take flight, no matter how much you threaten to run the fucker over.
0: So, Jesus, Dan. So, <laughs> so there are these different kind of ideals around the idea of retreating as well that you can find in the stat block but it's not stated anywhere. No, no. So stopping to think about the construct that can roll up a wall and across a ceiling because it's got, I don't know, rollers that can dig into the surfaces, then it's going to do that. Bullshit,
1: fantasy, yeah.
0: Sure, but like, why not? Like, let it do its thing. It is going to try to do that. Let it get away with with its unique movement. It will rely on that. That is a natural advantage that it has. And it will assume that the squishy bipeds over there don't have. Hello podcast people, podcast people. We're recording. Yes, but it makes them sound like pod. We're recording. You're recording. Fuck. Hello podcast people. We've got a couple of things going on that you might not know about, and so we thought we'd cut away
1: to a little reminder. First of all, we just want to point everyone to our YouTube channel again. We appreciate that all of you listen on your respective favorite podcast apps, but the it's a mimic YouTube page has all of our shows laid out in playlists. That means you can listen to our Dragon episodes back-to-back, or dig through the Campaign Builder or Touring the Multiverse series without scrolling through the backlog or having to use a search function.
0: New episodes get uploaded within a week of airing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever, but the whole backlog is up there. Even the episodes we're embarrassed about. Yeah, fuck, those early cold opens were sloppy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And delicious. The other thing we want to hey, mention, Dan, it, what you know, what else is sloppy but delicious? Whatever you're going to say next is just going to get cut. So, well, uh, the other thing we want to mention is our sneaky little store that lives an unassuming little life on our website. There
0: are stickers, magnets, phone cases, notebooks, cups, water bottles, coffee mugs, and travel mugs. Wait, 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 wait.
1: I could have a mug. I'm tired of your ugly mug already, man. I want a mug. We even have masks in a variety of sizes because we're socially conscious people. The current designs are for the It's a Mimic mic and the Deep Dark Irradiance logo, but we'll be updating the store as time goes on. How big are the mugs? I don't know. There's a standard one and a tall one. And a travel mug too. Jesus, I need to look at this website more often. So please take a second to check out what we have to offer. We really appreciate the donations we've received through the website, but we want to make sure that you guys have the option of getting something for your hard-earned money. Every little bit helps keep the lights on and the side projects rolling, and we love you for your support. So thank you to everyone out there who visits www.itsamimic.com and checks out our online store there. (laughs) There's even a little pin with the logo on it. And don't forget to check out the YouTube channel for perusing the older episodes. Now, without any further delay, let's head back to the show. Jesus, there are three different kinds of stickers, Dan. We are capitalist whores. Will you please take these damn commercials seriously? No. Okay, so for the purposes of this episode, we've kind of taken these monster types and grouped them into four loose categories. The first of which that we're going to be taking care of is the fauna. That is your beasts, of course, your monstrosities. And for the sake of our conversation, the two celestials that apply to this from Theros. They are technically sentient mounts that operate as beasts even though they have an intelligence of six and can understand the celestial language, but they will still operate as beasts.
0: They're about as intelligent as an eight year old. So yeah. Yeah. Or, their instinct
1: is going to kick in before their strategy does. I, I, exactly. So the first one we're going to cover is beasts. Now these are your real world animals. These are the things that have an analog to what we have here. If there's a bear here, there's going to be a bear in D and D lions, tigers, everything. Oh, oh my. my. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Real quick here, Adam, let's roll for the category of fauna and give two inspirations on how to run, specifically, beasts. Got a two. All right, well... Good times roll.
0: Yep. Uh, Honestly, the first thing that I want to say is that predator versus prey is how a lot of people look at your general animals. That does not necessarily mean offensive versus defensive. Okay. You can have a wolf that is protecting its young and in defense mode. You can also have a bull or a a ram that is very hyper aggressive yeah yeah so just because it looks like it is a a herbivore or it is a an omnivore or you know you're sitting there looking at how it eats or where the eyes are on its head or how sharp the teeth are whatever it is that you're looking for to give you that indicator that's not the whole story circumstance and environment will dictate whether or not they're on the offensive or defensive
1: okay um for me, I mean, we did mention it very briefly earlier, but this idea of territorialism when it comes to beasts, when it comes to these guys and these warning aggressive signs, these the even if they are prey, there is going to be some sort of um, aggressive action. They're not going to have a poker face. No, no. They're going to tell you, hey, keep your distance or I'll fuck you up. Right. And I see what we see in like moths and poison dart frogs and things like that that you know put out this grand display as a warning of hey i will fuck you up or as a distraction to i'm i'm giving you the impression that i'll fuck you up even though i'm made of dust and wind yeah like i'm off so um understanding that when it comes to your beast will help you play realistic beasts
0: and the other thing to keep in mind as well is that we said before they're not going to fight to the death no But a predator, I'm thinking you take a panther, for example, or a jaguar, will hit, slash at you, and then fuck off into the bushes, Mm -hmm. and then stalk you from the bushes and be an issue an hour and a half later. They will come back and hit over and over. Man, I have been dive-bombed by crows and seagulls. Mm -hmm. And they will go up there and they will hover and they will wait until they get the next opportunity. They're not going to wait six seconds and attack again. They're not on the same initiative clock that everyone else is. You're going to fuck with your players by saying, yep, they get out of range. And they're gone. And now they're back, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. And so you have them harassed and harried by these predatory or um, defensive because of territorial reasons. Yeah. Creatures, these beasts that are out there. So um, it's going to add an extra layer. I have seen parties get more frustrated with tigers than with
1: mimics. Yeah, so have I. I also want to bring up the idea of tigers as well because hunger motivates a beast best Like, better than most other motivations, right? So, if a tiger takes down the wizard, they will run. They're not going to wait until the rest of the party is dead. They will grab their kill and leave to eat in peace. And that is going to be a fairly common tactic amongst beasts because they're just in it for the food. They're just in it for the meal, right? So, if they can secure one human, I mean, they're eating well tonight, right? Yep. so they ain't fighting to the death they're fighting to the one of you gets unconscious and then they're dragging you out now we're going to move on to monstrosities monstrosities i'm going to say that word weird are basically magical creations of wizards where they've gone i wonder what would happen if i take a an owl and a bear and smush it together and now i get an owl bear
0: or they've got a, a specific reason to put you know to build a certain kind of beast of burden
1: yeah yeah now some of them are sentient
0: no there are a lot of sentient monstrosities as a matter of fact over half of them are yeah but there is such a wealth of them that there are so many it it warrants to to discuss it because for every otog out
1: there there's a kraken as well right so yeah now these guys are going to resemble beasts in many 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 ways but they will tend to rely on their instinct over their intelligence. Like we said earlier, this isn't going to be a hard and fast rule when it comes to them. Choose the their methods by reading the flavor text. So, um, Adam, what kind of insights do you have for uh, Run of Monstrosities?
0: Okay, so the very first thing that I look at is the fact that they're a lot like beasts in the way that they're focused on survival and territorialism for the most part. Um, but there are a whole lot of them that have other motivations... Uh, And so when I'm looking at the motivations that they have, I'm I'm looking at the same way that I would run a beast until they start to get high enough intelligence that they get the sentience and I start to run them like a humanoid. Okay. Right? So that is really where I'm looking at this five equal sentience. I'm looking for, does it have a language? If it has a language, that kind of gives me an idea that they're sentient enough. If they understand but can't speak, I wonder... A little bit because I mean hell, some dogs and dolphins understand but don't speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are they sentient? I don't think so. Uh, some people will argue with me, and you're welcome to try. You can reach me at Oscar underscore the uh, underscore hey, hey, org hey, hey, hey. on Instagram. So <laughs> Ain't nobody got time to argue with crazy cat ladies. So no, but but for the most part, that is what I'm looking at, the intelligence four or five, to find out whether or not they're going to act like a beast or
1: a humanoid, as far as their basic mentalities go. For me, when I think of monstrosities, I think about their purpose, what, what purpose they have when they were uh, initially made. Um, and sure, they might have been loosed on the world to wreak havoc as they go. But um, the you said that they rely heavily on their instincts over their intelligence or whatever it well, is. Well, those the low intelligence ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. I, I, I think they the amalgamation of whatever monster or beast creatures that they are will feed that instinct but also their designed purpose will feed that instinct as well. Uh like what purpose did an owl bear originally serve? Yeah, or a
0: fucking manticore? Yeah. Like a lot of the times they're they're built to be weird guards. Yeah. And then they got out into the world whether they were set out to cause havoc or they just escaped or the wizard died and they were forgotten about. Exactly. Right? But apparently there was enough of them to procreate. <laughs> right? So when when you do with well, these... life uh finds a way. Yeah. Fuck. All right. So um, honestly, you're right. I, I look at them the same way. But let's take the manticore, for example. Sure. It has a few different aspects. It's got a lion's head. It's got bat wings. It's got a big stinger tail, right, with a bunch of things that it can shoot. So I'm thinking it's got kind of a scorpion, maybe with the porcupine quills. Sure, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's got bat. It's got um, the idea of this fierce lion. And I know that these are intelligent creatures and they can speak. But I'm looking at the amalgamation, almost like it's a Venn diagram. And what do lions, bats, porcupine, and scorpions have in common? I don't know.
1: Like they- I'm like, did you prep that, Adam? Because no. I'm dying to know what those four different types of animal have. Have in common? Uh, n-
0: nothing. But you know what? Three of them are mammals. And uh, lions, pounce, bats, fly... And uh, scorpions tend to have kind of a pouncing maneuver to them. So I'm going to be attacking from the top, from the trees. In a very pouncing
1: yeah. like thing, a, like a flyby attack almost.
0: Exactly. And so I'm thinking about that. They've got poison. So they're going to do a flyby. They're going to hit and sit back and with the poison and do some damage for a while. Yeah. Right. And so this is where I start to look at the the idea of what do these different animal parts have in common together? Or what's that one unique thing that they rely on, like poison, or the fact the Hydra has. How many freaking heads? Right? Yeah. And they've got to be able to use that to their advantage. If you see a Hydra with one head, it has lived such an easy life. <laughs> There's been not a bad thing that's
1: happened to it. <laughs> such a young and unspoiled and, and fresh
0: Yeah, you know Hydra. What? You have just seen a, a, a Patosaurus with, <laughs> with sharp teeth walking through the woods. What the shit is that? You kill it and then, blop, two heads. Right? Yeah. And so it's going to be able to... A Hydra, for example can take damage and and turn around and turn it into an advantage. Mm-hmm. So it will stand and fight. Yeah. Whereas something like a wyvern won't. It stings and flies. Yeah. Right? This is the kind of thing that I'm looking for in my monstrosities. It's not just about what their unique attack is, but what do they rely on from a physicality standpoint?
1: We can take the parallels from animals and beasts. Sure. Um uh, let's move on to celestials here. Um, Now, almost all of the Celestials we see are intelligent creatures. As a creature subtype, uh, Celestials tend to focus heavily on morality, right? Like, that is what they exist for, is to be that that light to a demon's dark. They have a lot of bigger picture-level reasonings, and so their motivations can be a bit weird, even for the less-than-sentient creatures there. They're also by the way, in constant battle with fiends. The celestial life isn't playing a harp on a cloud in, you know, living your little peaceful heaven utopian existence. There are
0: some up at, in Mount Celestia that are doing that, but they're on the material plane.
1: Yeah, no, they're, 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 they're here for a reason. They're here for a they're warrior
0: cast, even if they're like a unicorn.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, now they, they, as we mentioned, if they're here on the material plane, that means they all come from somewhere else, which is in this uh, example, the upper planes, N- which, by the way, is not just Mount Celestia. It's not just the lawful good plane. They're going to be coming from the lawful good plane. And and there's Elysium and the happy the, hunting grounds, yeah, and that that there's is, a lot. There's a lot there. Um, now, they also have a variety of very specific lore. So covering them with kind of general statements is a bit difficult, but we can assert that they are immortal unless they are killed on a plane of existence that they originate from, which we know from all fiends, all cel- uh, celestials are going to follow that rule as well. And we know that they are there to fight, quote unquote, their version of the good fight. Their version of morality, even though they're from the good alignment, might not line up with your lawful good paladin. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah.
0: Honestly, when I'm running a Celestial like with a low intelligence, which, again, is not very often. I'm looking specifically at these two mounts. Like, it's a winged bull and a winged lion or something. Sure, I can't yeah. remember off the top of my head. But they, they're going to focus on protection and retreat. They are not there to smite. No. Right? Vengeance and apathy from these guys are going to send a strong message. Sure, you kill their owner, they will come at you. Yeah. Right? If they get threatened enough, they will... Charge, attack, and then pull back again. They're trying to dissuade you from moving forward this way. So when you, you know, uh, try to get their uh their on their good graces later, and they don't give it to you, well, you done fucked up. Yeah, right? they'll remember. They will remember. They are smart enough. Yeah, these things are like I say, like they're going to be as smart as an eight year old. They're not going to be happy with you if you were to piss off an eight year old. You pay for it for the next three days.
1: Oh, you're not wrong. Um, I would also like to say, like, these guys, because they function as mounts a lot of the time, the, the low-intelligent Celestials, they're going to be heavily protective of their, uh, their owner, their rider. Um, and if their rider falls, not only are they going to attack you, but they're going to try to get you away so that they can gather and leave.
0: Well, so much of the Celestial standpoint is based on healing and health and life. Yeah. So if their rider's just incapacitated for whatever reason, they're going to get away.
1: And and they would know intrinsically that that is what they need to do.
0: Yeah. The other thing too is that when they attack, they're not going to mince words on this. They're not. They're not coming in with a little. Paw. No, they're not. This subtle. is vicious and relentless until you fuck off, either because they're going to kill you, or you will retreat and they will come back to their master to their owner.
1: Right. Yeah. Now, because of their lawful good alignment and the fact that they will align with a party's goals sometimes.
0: Well, remember, they're not necessarily lawful good. They're oh, I, just good. D- d-
1: yes, they're because they're good, yes, um, their their goals can align with a party very well. Um, so I do see these guys being kind of easy to sway onto your side if you can convince them you're fighting the same fight. I, I look at this because they will understand that the armies of the Nine Hells and the Abyss far outnumber them. And any ally they could get is welcome, right? And even your base dumbass sort of angel bull thing with wings is going to understand that concept.
0: Yeah. Normally a mount would not. Yeah. But these mounts would. These mounts
1: would. Yeah. The next category we're going to burst into here is the Flora. Honestly, this is the most under-supported category in all of 5th edition. As we've said many times before... But it goes deeper than you might realize because it's not just about the plants. It's also about the oozes. So let's talk about the oozes because they're going to be the highlight here (laughs) more often than not. Um, Oozes, they're barely alive um, in that general sense. They're just amorphous gatherings of goop. Yeah. Right. But they do have intent. They do have what can be conceived as a goal. They come in a variety of colors and that tends to be how they're categorized. But oh, yeah. the
0: gray one does the does the, the gray
1: one does the thing. The black one does the thing. The yeah. yellow or let's be let's be special and say ochre one does a thing, right? So some have that base form of sentience, but some can get smart like the oblex, which can get hyper intelligent and malicious. And... Oh yeah, it's like wizard smart. Yeah, yeah. But outside of that, uh, even I mean, the oblex kind of leads in this direction, their main concern... Is propagating. I don't want to say procreating. They just kind of cell structure... Divide. Divide, right? So propagating and consuming. Yeah, it's not eating it's consumption yeah now the only
0: ooze off the top of my head that does not do that is a slithering tracker it's there to assassinate yes but yeah.
1: it's got an intelligence level as well so we'll set that aside for this sure this yeah. conversation so let's grab our dice when we're talking about flora and everything and talk about some inspirations for oozes
0: a natural one and a 19th you know what dan i'm a, I'm a man of extremes adam <laughs> there we go You are extremely infuriating, that's for sure. Okay, so the very first thing that I look at for oozes is they've got this really cool mechanic about squeezing through tight, like,
1: one-inch spaces.
0: Yeah. Why would you ever come up on an ooze hanging out in a hallway?
1: No, it's going to come through the cracks in the floor at you.
0: Absolutely. You should think about the idea that most of them ambush. And a lot of the times, you see that they will drip or drop onto people. Which is a lot of fun. But I like the idea of the room slowly filling with gelatinous cube. <laughs> right? You are trapped in the closet. And it just is. You are consumed. Like it is. Everything is suddenly difficult terrain. And you are burning. Yeah. As it gets higher and higher and higher. You're sitting there hacking away at it. The idea of this special movement is not only going to be how they're going to engage. But also how they're going to retreat as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Because they do need to propagate. They do need to consume. And again, if you hack off enough of them, short of... Which one is it that that divides when you hack at it? I think that's the green it, slime. Is it green slime? No, green no, slime.
1: Bl- that's the black pudding, I believe.
0: I think the ochre jelly does... I know It doesn't matter. A couple of them yeah. sit there and divide. As you hit them with slashing weapons, they divide. But when there are fewer than, let's say, two-thirds of the hit points left, honestly, I feel like they're going to start thinking about retreat. Yeah. They know that they have been hacked down. All of the good, all of the rats and mushrooms and algae that they have consumed up until this point is now gone. All yeah. that hard work has been destroyed. And they need to get big enough to be able to split to make more of them. Because Dweeblex needs to take over every realm. Yes. And that is
1: their sole purpose is to propagate and expand and consume. The one thing I like about them as well is because a lot of the oozes are like int dash, like they are just, they are so dumb. They like they, they have their main goal and that's it, right? Laser lock focus towards that these, one goal. These things are not going to disengage. No, they're not going to disengage from combat, but they're also incredibly useful as traps. Oh yeah, these are environmental, hazards, right? And too. I mean, we see that with the, um, I believe it's a kobold that is the only reason why we have a green slime stat because they throw i think it's the kobold alchemist guy, inventor inventor has the green slime in a jar that he throws right that's a that's a ooze it's a pudding character so like um they are going to be used as traps you've used this uh, it's, it's it's so funny you're thinking about it from 3.5 perspective
0: i did some digging into oozes green slimes are not creatures that don't have stats in fifth edition Mm. green slimes are traps in the dmg yeah that is where
1: you find the green slime shit but you have used gelatinous cubes to great effect as traps
0: oh black puddings too i love oozes as environmental
1: issues and that's the thing about flora plants are like that too yeah um speaking of plants there are going to be two kinds of plants i mean everybody you're listening to a podcast you understand what a plant is um, but there are two kinds of plants you're going to be fighting in D and D. They're going to be the chemical waste plant. Uh, no, wrong kind of plants. Um, there, are plant be, no, uh, there are going to plant your feet. No, they're going to be the plants. Robert plant. <sighs> no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they're going to be the plants that grow out of the grounds, and you're going to fight them where they are rooted. Which I mean, again, those don't need any sort of introductions. But the ones that are going to be a problem are going to be the awakened or sentient plants, which are I mean, sentient and don't need to be covered here.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about them next week. Right. Um, honestly, these guys attack indiscriminately, just like oozes do. They're not going to pick out one target from the next. If you are close enough, they're going to hit you. Yeah. Right? They are opportunistic. You have come to them. Even if it's like the the one of the spores, um, the gas spores. Yep. Right? That kind of sit there and float and can move a little bit. You have to get within their range for them to attack. So they are very much ambushers. Mm-hmm. They want you to come close.
1: Yeah. um, I also view them a lot as because of this, they are um, not just ambushers, they're guards, right? If you have a wizard's tower, there is no reason why they don't have... A druid's conclave. or or, Yeah, even a druid's conclave is uh, better for this, but have like assassin vines wrapped around their their entire thing that they know the word to get by without the attack, right? Um, And of course, it's going to be in druidic, which they can't teach you so no look you're right the environment means so much with these guys they are part of the environment
0: yeah and so you almost have to look at uh, i look at the man traps from um from tomb of annihilation which sure. are yeah. the the giant fronds that that sit open and you walk on them and they just close yeah you're like, well fuck right when are you ever like oh there's a giant plant in front of you everyone's just gonna walk around it right so you have to build your environment very carefully very specifically
1: I will forever remember you and I were in Boy Scouts together. I will forever remember my buddy Malcolm who uh, yelled at us one year because we were walking off the trail that we were wrecking the florage. The florage. Yeah. Um, But the man trap to me has always been one of those things where I'm like, as an adventurer, as as a thinking human being, why do you look at, huh, that's a star-shaped open petal monster there that is i'm a fuck it i'm i'm a no well, the, but that's uh, what the bard's thinking uh, yes uh but like i'm a walk right through the middle of it
0: well and that's why you have to set it up so that there's a field of these things or a narrow passage or at the edge of a cliff yeah like mm-hmm. you you really need to work with the environment dense enough fog will help you with oh
1: this. oh yes yes please friends use use your foggy. Woods environments when you're dealing with,
0: and it's the same thing for oozes. I mean, you don't see an ooze in an open field, right? No, no. Um, honestly, the last thing that I have to say about plants, um, and oozes as well is there should be evidence of the victims left behind because if they are going to digest a paladin, they're then going to spit out the armor, yeah. So when you see plants with armor and weapons around it. You go, oh shit, that's something that I should... Hey, you know what? There's a skeleton that's just dripping and has a magical sword in his hand that glows. But it's also going to draw your players in. And that, my friend, is how you lay a trap with a plant or an ooze. Yeah, I was about to say, there are two types of
1: players in this game. There are those who run towards the magic items dripping next we, to a skeleton we call that Dan and there are the ones who stand back and wait and be like guys 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 no 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 oh damn it fireball
0: <laughs> well and and that's Megan but there's also the Dave kind which says hey Dan you should go get yeah,
1: yeah I guess that's true yeah yeah <laughs> all right uh, speaking of Dave and Megan and them um, we are moving on from the mob coverage that we've had over the past six months and we we called on everybody to kind of chip in to all of this and, and really dig deep into trying their best to talk up a monster stat block to a microphone, and they did a killer job, and I thank them so much for it. We've said thank you to them dozens of times, so the thing I really want to pull out here is... Oh, God! this Tuck it back away! No, no. Uh, these mob episodes have given me such an appreciation for how these stat blocks are written and how they are detailed out. Especially in the lore side, there have been dozens of people on Instagram, on Reddit, on the our emails who send us little messages, uh, messages on Podbean, sending us little messages saying, "Hey, do you guys? What do you guys think about this use of this monster?" And guys, we love that level of shit. Please, please, please keep reaching out to us. Talk to us about the insights that you have pulled out from listening to these episodes.
0: Yeah, it makes a world of difference to us to know that uh, that you guys are sitting there listening to the shit that we're spewing. And when you when you hit us with this stuff, you become part of the conversation. And that's yeah. what we want. So you can reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or at r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. We're also available through the email, as Dan said, at info at uh, itsamimic.com. There are always mailbag questions that we're sitting on waiting to hit the next round of. Uh, We've been in weird COVID times, so we haven't been doing it the normal way. But it's coming back with the regular ones. So keep sending us these questions. If you get a piece of inspiration, let us know. And we can add it to the mailbag if you have a further question about that as well. And uh, remember, if you are throwing up comments on uh, Podbean or YouTube, we see those. But if you're doing it in one of the apps or you're leaving an Apple review or something, we don't. We can't see those. Still,
1: so. still give us Apple reviews. Oh, they, yes, help please. Get the, they help get the podcast out there. But the well, best way to reach us, if you want to talk to us directly... Is, is through social media. Is through social media, yeah. So in previous editions, Adam, any creature that came from outside of the material plane was called an outsider. These days, with the exception of a couple odd outliers, most of our extraplanar creatures are Celestials which we've already covered and will cover more in depth in later episodes, Aberrations, Elementals, Fae, and Fiends. Each is wildly different from the others, so let's dig into the motivations and tactics of these guys here. All right, which one first? We're going to do Aberrations first because they're my favorite of that list. Okay. Um, Aberrations, some are intelligent, but you got to remember their intelligence is not what we recognize as intelligence. They have a... Aberrant way of thinking, which is why they're called aberrations. In fact, most have radical motivations based on eating, survival, invasion, procreation. Yeah, but
0: yeah. It's not so much about well procreating on the on the material plane anymore. Yeah. They are sitting there invading a lot of the time, especially the more intelligent ones. But the idea that
1: even the low intelligent ones are coming in to get a foothold. Yeah, I mean, you you see, mind flayers are like literally landing on spaceships. All right, crash landing on spaceships, depending on where you're reading it. Um, and that's just weird and erratic. And a lot of aberrations are going to follow that trend. The insanity is part of what makes them unique. And they almost all exclusively come from the Far Realms. Unless you get into some of the other campaign settings. Yeah. Adam, let's grab our dice. Let's talk about our uh, tips for running these guys. Ah, Ooh. finally, I got to go first. Um, I got a 17. Friends, I love Call of Cthulhu. And whenever I go to aberrations, I am thinking as outworldly elder god evil as I can with them. Now, I mean, read the stat blocks, read the lore, do that. But when it comes to these guys, they are not going to behave in any way that is recognizable. They're going to act in patterns outside of what would be normal with a beast or a celestial, right? Anything vaguely humanoid isn't going to translate well in motivations to an aberration. So their goals are going to be completely alien to us. And that's really what they are. They're aliens.
0: Yeah, and they've got a lot of psychic shit too. Like yeah. right? when you look at, at Lovecraft in particular, he's not afraid to get weird with it, right? No. And you shouldn't either. Like that's the that's my big thing is get fucking
1: weird with it. I mean, but you got Zorn, you got Mind Flayers, you got these guys that are just like walking Are Zorn aberrations? No, Zorn are elementals, which bothers me, but they They used to they be. Used to be outsiders, yeah.
0: yeah. So one of the things that that I really look at is what happens when mortals, when humans and halflings and even dwarves come into contact with these things and are not immediately devoured? And the answer to that, my friend, almost always, according to Lovecraft, is you get a cult. Yep. And we often think cult of the dragon. That's the big one, right? Or cult of the kraken. Whatever the warlock says, cult of the... But there is no freaking reason why you cannot have cult... Of the star spawn, right? Yeah, uh, cult of the even the weirder little aberrations that are just bizarre, fucking strange yeah. creatures. Even when it comes to like the the neogi, for example, yeah, or yeah, the yeah. Uh, like, the, what's the ikshictikatikatiki ones? The I don't even know. They're from um they're from out of the abyss, and they're giant freaking manta ray looking evil things. Sure, okay. So there are all sorts of weird freaking things that, that should have a cult attached to them cult of the jewel cult of the aboleth we should be doing this shit right mm. that's something that i want to see more of because when you just have common peasants they're going to bow down to the first thing that just shows up and pretends to be a harvest god
1: i just want to see the cult of the aboleth just have like three little eyes that they tattoo th- along they, their forehead? They don't tattoo...
0: Like, if you get hit with Aboleth slime, you get eyes.
1: Oh, yeah. I know. But their cults, like, ritualistically, will tattoo uh, the three eyes along their forehead. I love Aboleth. We don't see enough Aboleths in the world. But
0: the other thing about them that I really focus on as well as most of them, because they do not have a home base. They don't have a territory. They will carve out a lair, but they stick to the shadows, to underground, to wet, dank, dark places. They tend to be ambushers. Yeah. That is a common theme among them that even the intelligent ones will lure you in before they rip your guts out. Yeah, yeah.
1: Next, because we mentioned the Zorn, how they swapped from being outsiders to elementals. I want to talk about elementals. Now, elementals are all forces of nature and the elements. They're fairly self-explanatory there. They're usually chaotic Vengeful or territorial, depending on their motivations. There,
0: yeah, depending on the cut kind of them. There's a lot of different kinds of elementals.
1: Yeah, and they operate almost exclusively on instinct, right? Like they are loosed in an area and they just go go, right? They usually also come from the elemental planes. Like when a wizard summons them, they're pulling one from the elemental planes. That's why they tend to be grumpy. They're getting pulled out of their home. When I'm running an elemental, I think consume. Almost with all of them, I think about consumption. Fire elemental is wanting to feed the flames. An earth elemental is trying to gather as much toward it as it can. An air elemental is... It's funny, I don't think of it as consume so much as fill the space with my element. Yes, yeah, yeah. I I mean, yes, that's kind of what I was going with it. So their motivations almost exclusively are going to be, in in my games, um, how to create more of my element. Yeah, and not more elementals because we don't really have a whole lot
0: given to us about how they procreate. No. But how do I get more of my element around me? How does
1: my element become the dominant element in this area? That is something to remember is like you have the princes of the apocalypse storyline which is the rehashing of the elemental evils. Yeah. The elemental planes of air, fire, earth, and water hate each other and are in a constant war. You have to know that when you run your elementals because a earth elemental and a fire elemental aren't going to play friendly on a battlefield.
0: No, they absolutely are not. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, putting a water versus a fire is a good way to extinguish one of them. Yeah. Right? So um, the thing that I think about is, honestly, they will not give chase. They okay. are going to stick to that territory. When you walk into that forest that has been burned to the ground and it's just charred, and you can see five or six fire elementals over there doing that they are not going to chase you over the land and across the road and into, they're not going to do that they're going to burn whatever's in what
1: they've deemed as their territory they're they're kind of MMO level like monsters you have to you have to aggro them you get close enough to them you'll aggro them and yeah, yeah.
0: um and that's a real problem when you get to the elder elementals the the elder tempest and the leviathan and the phoenix and stuff <laughs> yeah cuz
1: Leviathan's territory is anywhere the ocean touches. Yeah. Can it get wet? (laughs) I also like running these things with the facts that they're often brought in with a wizard's goal in mind. And they're probably resentful of that. A fire elemental wants to do nothing but just happily burn on the elemental plane of fire. A water elemental just wants to exist in the elemental plane of water getting pulled out of their home is going to disrupt them is going to piss them off and when i play with them they are going to be targeting spellcasters.
0: i i you know i always think of it as when you when you pull them into this to the material plane they suddenly become if they had a comported body like i do they would suddenly be incredibly itchy all over everything stinks they're staring into bright light there's a loud high-pitched whine that that's going on. They're a little bit um uh nauseous because they're here. Nothing makes sense. They're not from their plane. And now people are poking at them.
1: It's like me coming out to work on a Monday after a weekend bender.
0: Yeah, exactly. These guys are hungover rage monsters, right? Yeah. Now okay, that's not really fair, but I do look at them as if they are going to be aggressive if you cross them. Mm-mm. Also if you don't cross them, they don't give a fuck. They really don't because a lot of the times if you're not the reason they're there, they don't they don't care.
1: Yeah, if, if you are in the wizard's tower with, that is, you know, the furnace is fueled by a fire elemental. They're not going to leave the furnace to attack you should you walk into the furnace room.
0: No, you open up the furnace, start digging around in the coals, and now you've got to deal with a fire elemental. Yeah. the uh, The last thing is, though, that I look at them and I don't see them as being fight to the death kind of creatures. But I do see them as retreating back into their element. Okay. To heal up and fight another day. These things are still living creatures that do exist just kind of beyond our concept of why they exist. We don't know where the fuck elementals came from. They
1: just do. They just are. It just is. See, I I, I, I would disagree. I I play almost all my elementals, uh, elementals to fight to the death. Um, however, if there is a source of their element around them when they die, they will come back in that element.
0: See, I, no, like, again uh, I don't give them that. If you're sitting there fighting Mephits or uh, Fire Myrmidon or, or, yeah. or whatever it is, and they will be near the element because they're always tied to the environment. Mm. And then when they get damaged enough, they will retreat back into it and no longer be a threat. But you know the next people that walk through this room are going to have to deal with that shit again. That's fair. They enough. almost haunt their element. But if they sure. dissipate... they. I don't have them come back. I don't make you fight a new one every single time. If you come back to this room later, it's going to come back with not full hit points.
1: Cool. Um, also in this outsider realm are the Fey, And we have gushed about the Fey multiple times. We I'm love, gushing right now. We love the Fae, um And the kind of bonkers nutso craziness they could bring to a campaign. They're all... Almost exclusively all sentient creatures. There are some exceptions, of course. But they are all chaotic and strange in their sensibilities. They have this weird blue and orange morality that we've mentioned. Um, rather than the good and evil level morality. And Look,
0: we dive into the fey in our Fae Wild episode. Yeah. And we'll we'll
1: touch more on them again later. Yeah. And they all come from the Fae Wild. Yeah. Because, of course, they do. So... When I'm running these guys I embrace the weird. I embrace the impulse. The fae are creatures of impulse. That is what I want now doesn't mean that is what I want the next turn. Right? And they may want a button from you um or or they may want to kill you because you are sullying that beautiful shirt and they'll take the shirt off your back in that in that regard but they the next turn will be like oh no it's too dirty now. I'm going to go after the cleric Right? Like, they're going to bounce around. And to be honest, they are selfish. They are incredibly inwardly focused in that regard. They are all about their pleasure. They get the barest hints that a fight's outside of their uh, capabilities. They will run. For the most part, I mean, you have
0: sprites. I mean, they are good. They're not going to sit there and kill you over a button. That's true. And they are also a little bit militant. They will sit there and, and, uh, and have their own motivations for sticking out a battle. Or yeah. But again, these are intelligent creatures. The non-intelligent ones are very selfish and very weird. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I look into, just to kind of extrapolate on yours, I want to dig into the alien nature of them. Yeah. They need to feel alien and threatening and whimsical all at the same time. That whimsy needs to threaten to turn like a storm. Mm-hmm. But your player should always be laughing with the sprites and the pixies. But also giving each other the side eye, like, holy shit, Mm. what are they going to do next? This They they are
1: unpredictability embodied.
0: Yeah, these satyrs that are having this wonderful bonfire that are feeding us and whatnot, this is great. But someone said goat orgy, so... (laughs) Right? But I, I agree with you. They're never going to engage unless they have the upper hand. Yeah. They will fly. They will run. And they will get out of the way. And they will remember. Oh, for eternity
1: yeah uh, that's the thing about a lot of them time works weird in the feywild and you have to remember that when you're playing your fey
0: honestly when, if you run into fey when i'm dming you're in for an impossible task this is going to be hard you do not want to run into them because they have rules that you don't understand for example if you sit down at a table without washing your ankles first then they technically get to own your second born daughter but you will never fucking know that unless you have done a whole bunch of research on them in-world ahead of time. Yeah. And and most players don't do that. So just avoid the Fae.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, you could be free of all of your uh, uh, obligations to them should you pick your nose with the one finger and flick the booger at them and hit them square on the forehead.
0: Yeah, that's that, that a great cultural hilarity for them because, you know, most Fae don't have boogers. So this is fantastic, yeah, right? Yeah, right. And so... Mm-hmm. Even the dumb, the unintelligent versions of the Fae will have very simplistic ideas like that. So instead of petting the dog, that's the Fae um, hound from, uh, from Eberron, instead of petting it, you need to sing to it. Yeah. It's still going to placate it in a very similar way, but you got to do something weirdly different. And don't you ever, ever wear anything
1: brass oh yeah hey or i well no no iron. that's
0: that just it's technically iron it normally is iron, yeah but rot metals will tend to set Fay off
1: i i love uh a lot of old celtic lore and f- like fairy level lore like our real world lore on on fairies so like i think of things like they will kill for uh, the perfect baby bell flower right yeah and and that that child is so innocent that we own we own that child now. That child's ours. Um, and why do you have a problem with this? Mm-hmm. It's coming to live with the Fae. It'll live forever. You guys like immortality, right? You're always chasing it.
0: Here, we're going to give you a, a weird evil doppelganger. You still get to raise something. Yeah. And children are a problem to be to deal with in the first place. So here, you have one of our problems. We'll take one of yours.
1: It just will occasionally eat the neighborhood cat. Anyways, speaking of things that'll eat the neighborhood cat, fiends.
0: Okay. <laughs> that was a weird segue, but yeah. let's, let's
1: go with it, Dan. Um. Fiends are on that other end of the moral uh, spectrum from uh, Celestials, and they are not all chaotic. This is the thing that we have to hit when, when we hit these things. They are almost all sentient, and they all focus on the evil of of life. But that evil is going to be embodied in both the lawful, following the orders way of the devil, as well as the absolute chaotic insanity of the demon, and the just-fucking-pay-me of the Yugaloth. And when we're talking about these solo, dumber creatures, they're going to follow that alignment as yeah, well.
0: Yeah, but they aren't going to be devils or yugoloths. No. they no. are, are they going to be demons or are they going to be the
1: uncategorized? Yeah, right. Um, they are, like the Celestials, almost in constant battle, often against the Celestials, but also against the other sections of that lower plane of um, the, the wheel, which is where they all come from. They all come from the lower planes. Um, they also, like Celestials, all have very specific lore based around them. And like Celestials, like a lot of the Outsiders and, and things we see, they will only be killed if you kill them on their natural home plane. Yes. Okay? So, understanding your motivation when you are running a Fiend is by far the most important thing. But you have to remember... It's not just the motivation, it's the mode of the motivation for these guys. Uh, and these
0: are well supported. It's yeah. in the lore. Read the flavor text section before the stat block yeah. to understand it. You may get tactics and and ideas about how they will accomplish their goal, but their goals are laid out. Their place in the world,
1: in the spectrum of things, is laid out clearly. And, yeah, and it, it's really easy to look at that. When you're looking at these uh, less intelligent versions of the fiend a lot of them have their job that is clearly laid out and you can chase after that Um, but your players are going to know that as well so find kind of otherworldly ways for them to accomplish their goals that are going to be beyond what your players will naturally expect and that's going to keep them fresh and lively
0: honestly one of the things that we have kind of hinted at all the way through we've said it a billion different ways but it's Really important with the fiends is to keep your eyes on the prize. What is the motivation and stick with it? An animal backed into the corner is going to act that way for that entire encounter. Mm -hmm. right? And it's the same thing for um, an ooze that is being hacked up to bits. It is now going to act in the same way that it will always act under these circumstances. Fiends are going to be the same way. And again, it's not going to be devils or yugoloths. But it is going to be these more bestial creatures and these low level demons that are just out there to eat and consume, to cause terror and havoc. And just because they don't understand what nightmares are, doesn't mean that that, that they were not created to cause nightmares. Yeah. They are all there for a reason, for a singular purpose, and they're going to commit to it. And they are going to just do as much chaos and craziness if... You manage to back all of the demons. And let's say you have a bunch of abyssal wretches. Sure. And you back them all into one keep. And they've retreated in there and they've slaughtered everybody inside. And you have an army surrounding them. They're not sitting there, you know, manning the battlements. They are still destroying every table, chair, wall, banner, whatever they can find in there. Because their mission is destruction. Mm-hmm. And they will probably be trying to eat it.
1: Yes. Yeah, probably. Finally, the last of these four categories that we're going to cover are the Creations. These are basically two separate types that will vary wildly in description from creature to creature. Um, For those of you keeping track at home, that means we're talking about Constructs and Undead. Neither of these are naturally occurring creature types, and they both run the gamut of hyperintelligence to mindless drones. But whatever their purposes are, there are some general guidelines that apply to all of them. Before we go into it, let's talk about our constructs first, Um, because Undead... Undead are their own whole crazy other side thing, Yes, so we'll we'll take care of constructs first. They are the animated objects, enchanted items, and living spells level of creatures. They usually follow orders or act by a very specific set of rules with very specific function. Think programming, this is if-then statements level of stuff.
0: You don't see that anywhere as clearly as you do with the modrons. Yeah, right. And we won't talk about modrons because they're They're actually intelligent. intelligent, Yeah, right. But the if this then this to the point where a a monodrone cannot even perceive a a drone, right? Mm -hmm. Like the 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 fourth level up, they can only everyone can only see the one above them and the one below them in the hierarchy. Okay, they cannot perceive of any more complex machines in their in their realm. Because it is outside of their ability to even comprehend it. So they've been designed to completely ignore it. And that is a telltale sign of Constructs. Yeah. They have the
1: purpose and they stick to the purpose. However, some are broken and chaotic and are just completely destructive in nature. Uh, it seems like whenever the programming faults, it's just... Or if it's an accidental byproduct. Bedulum. Yeah, it's just bedulum, Yeah, right? Um, it's important to know why a construct exists, what it was made for, to understand their tactics. So, Adam, for all of our creations, let's roll the dice and find some insight too. I got a 14. I got a 4. Your physical constructs made by a tinkerer, your animated spells, your creations from mechanists put on our plane, they are all going to have programs and goals that will mimic the goals of whoever created them in a way so
0: as well as the methodology too and, like, and the
1: methodology of it right like a wizard creating a thing is going to have an intelligence to it that will match the uh, the wizard
0: no it might not have the intelligence to it, but it's going to have the same basic you understand what i'm trying to say morality
1: right? yeah the living spells which can just be something that has been created due to uh, a chaotic miasma of spell-like energy or a shattering of the weave can create these things. It's going to have this weird chaotic energy to it. This means that they're going to follow through with their goal. I don't see these guys retreating. These guys don't have that level of recollection to them.
0: Almost certainly not, unless their job is to be a guard. A shield guardian will guard will stop you from entering, and if you leave the room, they will go back to their post. Yes. It's not necessarily retreating, but they will not necessarily follow.
1: Yeah. They won't chase, but they also won't retreat.
0: Yes. Yeah. I really look at the idea of embracing the task or the loop or the tactics that's been given to them. When I'm DMing, I like to often start off, I will arrange it so that you walk in seeing it doing its task, and then for some reason the task becomes impossible, and then all hell breaks loose. Mm. Whether it's the player's fault or the environment or whatever it is, something happens so they can't do it. But I also really like the idea of the, uh, the constructs that are suits of armor that have been uh, magically enchanted to be able to grab all of the stones. Don't worry about all of the creatures that are here. Just get the stones out. Ignore the rats and bats and everything else. Just get the stones out of the quarry. But they've been doing it for 10,000 years and there are no more stones in the quarry. And now they're moving over to the castle. And they're just ignoring the creatures there and taking the stones. <laughs> right? I want to embrace that idea of the loop that they get trapped in.
1: Cool. You mentioned the uh, catching them in the act. Yeah. Telegraphing it for one of these broken ones is also a great way. Show the ruts in the floor where this thing has walked back and forth for, you know, a century before it finally broke down. Uh, show... The blocks neatly stacked in one section and then as this thing has degraded over time, the organization of that stack has faltered and and fallen apart. Having some sort of telegraph that something is wrong, even going into the room before you even know there's a construct present. You're walking down this hallway and it's nice and it's beautifully uh, constructed and organized and uh, the craftsmanship is great and it just starts slowly degrading as you get down the hall to see this one flesh golem just stacking rocks along the side of this tunnel in a haphazard way because it has, you know, it's one arm has fallen off and it keeps on trying to reach over and grab something with it, but it can't. Right. Yeah.
0: And depending on its level of intelligence, depending on what, was uh what the orders were specifically if the order is grab it with your left hand and put it on the table if it doesn't have a left hand it doesn't know what to do yeah but if it's grab it off the floor and put it on the table and it doesn't have a left hand it'll use the right one yeah right and so you really do have to look at the specifics of the creation of it and this is where i also use language to my benefit as well yes because most yeah. constructs understand but don't speak the language of the person that
1: created them i was going to say just mode of control for a lot of these guys as well A lot of constructs tend to be incredibly powerful as well. Like, they just pack a heavy punch. So, if you're running into them, knowing how to switch them off so you don't have to do the fight, whether that be a command word or a gem that is harvested from their chest mid-combat in some way, shape, or form, knowing that going in is going to help you run these guys more effectively.
0: Yeah, the other thing I like to do is I like to focus on their defenses. So you you talk about, you know, they pack a punch. I want to look at their defenses for a second. It's almost always an armor of some sort. Although living spells obviously don't. Um, But I want to focus on when they get hit, their AC is 16 and you roll a 14 or even an 8. In this case, you don't miss. It just tinks off the side of it. I want to add that flavor to really make this feel different than a dude in a suit of armor. Sure. So... Whether it is a big solid object and everyone always has them move slowly and I don't see why. A steel predator is not slow. No. A merit will fuck you up, right? And a living spell is nuts. So when you are sitting there dealing with these guys, I look at the way that they move as not slow, but they don't bother to necessarily duck out of the way. They just take the hit Hmm. and then keep going. Or a living spell will just dissipate enough that the arrow passes through it. And to the naked eye, it looks like you should have hit, but you didn't. That's just gonna fuck with your party. Yeah. Now, from a meta standpoint, they know they rolled a seven, so they're not gonna hit. But you're just gonna say, "Oh, it passes right through them," and they say, "Well, uh, when do I, when do I hit? When do I not?" Mm-hmm. Right. And it's gonna mess with them just a little bit, but it's just flavor. The AC is still the AC. There's no conditions on it. It's just roll a high enough
1: number. Um, let's talk about undead now. Undead are, I mean, some of them are sentient uh, and some are mobs, which we covered with our zombies and our skeletons. And some are trapped in their own loops like constructs are, yeah. right? We're going to focus on the ones that are trapped in their own loops on this episode. Sure. Most undead have very specific lore like we've seen with fiends and... and
0: you know slushies. what your vampires and your liches and your mummy lords and yeah. shit are up to.
1: Um, And because of that, also have very special unique rules on how to destroy them. Yeah. I am a proponent that... If you have a centerpiece undead or even a construct fight, like I mentioned, knowing how to destroy them, and it should be a unique way. If you don't find one in the lore, have one. Engineer one in some way, shape, or form. This harkens back to like the, the supernatural fan of me, where it's like, okay, well, we're dealing with ghosts. Well, let's make sure everything's covered in a ring of salt, right? Um, sure,
0: yeah. The thing is, they don't like life. They have, whatever for whatever reason, they have zero respect for the idea of life and want to destroy it. Okay. That usually comes from their creator. Yes. And it usually gives you the idea of their purpose and why they're doing the thing that they're doing. Now, again, I don't want to talk about anything with an intelligence. I just want to talk about these ones that are stuck on loops. And so you often get this with the zombies and skeletons, which we've spoken about at length. But there are other kinds of undead as well Mm -hmm. um, that are super low level that are going to just go through the same kind of motions over and over again. A crawling claw does what a crawling claw does because it was enchanted to do this thing. Yes. It no. does not have its own motivations. It's doing its own unique thing.
1: The thing I would add on to that is almost all undead have in their back of their power source, the magic that pulls them forward is going to be from Orcus. Having, if if that motivation is hard to find, if, if the the creation was just a great evil happen in an area and thus the unhallowed, Uh, Aspect of that has pulled the undead up. Well, they're going to have that hatred to life from Orcus, right? So invoking the name of Orcus is going to potentially help you with some mindless undead.
0: Oh, I agree. But I would say that out to... I don't want every player to get used to that. Yeah. To every time they run into a zombie, like, oh, Orcus, Orcus sent us. Right? And then the zombie is expected to walk away. Uh, uh, I, I've got to have a cultish reason for it. Yes. There has yeah. to be a text or a script or a rune that's on their chest. Yes, yeah.
1: It, it, it's more than just saying, hey, bud, we're with Orcus. Can yeah. we just get in? Like, we're fine, right? Yeah. No. That, that's not how that works.
0: So the other thing that I look at for Undead to make them feel a lot different than other basic constructs is... I look at their mode of movement. Sure. Whether or not they clatter or stomp or shuffle or just float and pass through objects and whatnot. This gives me kind of an idea on, on their level of intelligence. If it's kind of at that level, the four to six range of how smart are they really? Are they sentient? Does a ghost know what a ghost used to know? Sometimes they do, but only little bits, yeah. right? And yeah. There's a lot of gray area with undead. I honestly look to the way that they move. And it gives me an idea of whether or not they pass through walls or open doors. How does this loop affect them? If there used to be a door here, but now it's an archway, do they still stop and mime opening up a doorknob and walking through because that's what they did in their old life? Or do they just float through the wall? Or will a wall being there stop them? Hmm. Right. And this kind of gives me the idea of this is the difference between a vampire and a vampire spawn okay right or a phantasm and a shadow right where i'm getting these different kind of feelings from a revenant and a zombie one will open the door one will not mm-hmm. right and their movement just from a thematic standpoint is going to give them such a unique flavor from creature to creature to creature with the undead themselves and i mean these guys don't retreat
1: no no 100 percent they don't
0: unless they're smart the like the smart ones will even a ghost will scream in your face and then turn invisible and disappear right they're not gone they're just resting for a little while they're gonna mm-hmm. come back and fuck with you tonight right but a zombie a skeleton they're doing their thing if you interrupt them or if they get if you get within their radar and they come at you and we talked about that in their episodes right they're going to continue to fight 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 damage 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 there's no talking this out no there's no e- even like, You'd be able to maybe shush and calm down an animal with a decent enough animal handling check. It does not matter with the construct. With any one of these creations, with the, the undead constructs, I'd Like it's not going to matter with an elemental. You're not talking it down. Unless it is smart enough to
1: have oh, yeah. that The, level the, of, the dumb yeah. ones yeah.
0: are not going to be able to be talked down. No, they I'm have gonna... a purpose. And that purpose is usually that loop or that, that territory that they're in charge of.
1: I would encourage everybody who does play with these constructs and and these creation level monsters to also pay heavy mind to how they were created as well. Like the actual method of their creation, whether it was because of an unhallowed area or, you know, the, the traditional Frankenstein mad lab, mad doctor experiment created this thing and play into that with the monster heavily. Have it featured. Have it focused. If if
0: it, look, if you're going to have undead, have an altar or have like disturbed graves. If you're going to have a flesh golem, you got your mad scientist lab. Yeah. If you're going to have the the iron golem, you've got a forge. Yeah, right. Like you're saying, work the environment into yes, this.
1: yeah, and and that is going to really breathe a lot of life into just what can end up because these guys are so robotic. Your combat can end up feeling very one note. One note. No man. When you have the a monster like these who might feel that way, even some beasts feel in this regard as well, use your environment to really build the flavor and the the uniqueness in the combats.
0: Yeah, and it's something that we have said, again, almost every time. I mean, not so much for Fiends or the Celestials, but for the most part, the environment is going to be a huge factor on keeping these as, I mean, to steal from the campaign builder, to keep these dynamic encounters yeah, yeah. going right because you are going to end up fighting water elementals for more than one encounter if you're fighting one you'll fight another one later yeah right and it's going to be the same for for undead when you're talking about the low intelligence level creatures you might only fight one lich because they're high intelligence right or one dragon but you may fight the zombie and then another zombie and then another zombie right you may be fighting uh you're in wildcat country mm-hmm You fought a tiger last week. You will fight a tiger again later if you roll it on a random encounter table, right? And a lot of this stuff is random encounter tables as well. We keep talking about the um, the idea of a group of fae together, a group of fiends together, or when you run into a pack of wolves. Even though these are this is about solo monsters, it's because they are that's a solo encounter. There may be a handful of them together, but a wolf is a wolf is a wolf. It's not like three goblins together yeah their goblins will all act differently based on the weapon in their hand how brave they are you want one to survive but the other two are just fodder right like does it does the goblin have a name if the goblin has a name he's just twice as powerful as all the other goblins right
1: and it will eventually become adopted by your party
0: right so uh, but when it comes down to the idea of the um the otug or the mimic or the hydra or whatnot You can fight maybe a couple of them at once, but it is the same fight with more hit points.
1: I mean, depending on your power level, everything's going to scale in that regard, right? Yes. uh, The CR 18 encounter with Odiogs is going to look different than a CR 5 encounter with an Odiog. Adam, do you have any final thoughts on these solo monsters?
0: Remember, dumb is not dumb. Dumb means instinct. Low intelligence means high instinct. There's a reason these creatures have survived and not gone the way of the Dodo Bird or the Passenger Pigeon. They have a survival instinct and you've got to be aware of it and you've got to play into it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And a lot of them still know how to read you. If you see low intelligence, high charisma, they're reading your body language or they're able to understand whistles and can be trained maybe, right? So just because they're dumb does not mean they're stupid, Mm -hmm. right? And we really have to look at intelligence like it is not a crippling factor when it is low. Again, it's a five that's... I, we said earlier it's uh, from Tales of the Yawning Portal because they have uh, sentient objects. Yeah,
1: yeah. right.
0: And it, with an intelligence of five. Anything below that is not considered sentient. And I stacked that up against Hill Giants and other shit beforehand. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay, five seems to be where the, the concept of I think, therefore I am, yeah. may not be expressly understood, but there's a basic self awareness to them. Uh, that you don't get a a simple level of contemplation, being able to use tools even and create tools on their own or adapt with tools that they pick up from other creatures. Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, We don't get that with these low level creatures. And I just really want to stress that idea that there are still tactics involved. Not everything is a dog. And I have seen owl bears run as dogs. Yeah. I've seen zombies run as dogs, but they get your whiff and they come attack, 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 attack. Hey, do Constructs fight to the death?
1: Uh, I, th- I think so. Yeah. They're- Creations would. If you are interrupting their loop and they go haywire, they will go haywire until they're stopped. Yeah. Right? If you guys make it out of the room, they might not hunt you down.
0: So, yeah, that's, that's really what I want to stress is the idea that most even low-level creatures will wait for the right time. Under the right circumstances, in the right environment, to attack the right prey at the right time, and if that doesn't line up, they will not attack. And if that doesn't happen, that's fine. Leave evidence. Cool. You can still have a random encounter of you found giant rock feathers. There's a rock in the area that might get your guys hunting a rock. <laughs> but the rock looked at them and said, eh, "Not gonna. I'm just not gonna fuck with those guys. They're
1: just that's not a good idea." Yeah. So anyways, that'll be a pretty decent place to start when focusing on running your monsters. Join us next week when we ship to look at the intelligent creatures that exist in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. That'll be it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com. And we rely on word of mouth to get the news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everybody you know. That we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get.
0: Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Is there a, a one of these things, one of these categories that is too catch-all for you? That you would like to split up and see differently, you uh, know, like like the fiends weren't all fiends originally. Like, it, but do we need subtypes? Do we need I, shape changers or
1: like? I would, I honestly, I would like to see more of these these uh, categories be combined. Oh, you as, think there's too many? Well, I don't think it's too many. I I think they each have their own description, but like having an aberration humanoid, right? And Can't then probably. having like mechanical details of what all aberrations haven't all undead haven't all constructs haven't like having those things that's a a holdover 3.5 that helped me as a dm to one create my own on the fly and two understand how to run them but if if there's one that's too much of an uh, umbrella it's the aberration
0: you think so yeah the aberration for me is fine it tends to be psychic level of shit honestly i don't like the way that the undead is broken down there's The difference between a zombie, a ghost, and a mummy lord is way too varied.
1: I mean, also, the difference between a Hydra, a Manticore, and a Owlbear is way too varied as well.
0: Monstrosities and Undead are the two most... Like, they've got the longest list of creatures. And I really feel like Monstrous Humanoid versus Monstrous Beast... Could have been two different ones. Sure. Yeah. Or
1: well, that was three point five as well.
0: Yeah, and and you know, corporeal and incorporeal undead would be ways mm-hmm. to split. Yep. But now we're gonna end up with twenty five different freaking. Yeah, I I get it. this
1: this is nice and easy to understand. It's the fit but... that simplicity of it, right? Yeah. So
0: I I don't know. I I could make an argument either way. I really don't think we need to fuck around with constructs. I don't think we need to fuck around with, with plants, fey or oozes. They are what they are, and I'm yeah. happy with that. I'll st- you know what you know what we should do no you leave it the way it is and you have the ability to have two descriptors that's
1: what I was saying yeah. is that what you were saying yeah that's what I was the saying the way the
0: fairy dragon can be fay and, and a dragon? dragon yeah and that's it? exactly what I was saying okay yeah. so we get mind flayers are humanoids and aberrants yes right okay and, and yeah, then, you know what that makes and a lot of then sense. zorns
1: are elementals and aberrations and now I'm back in a comfortable zone with my zorn the zorn zone the zorn zone the zorn zone we're getting back to the normal swing of things coming up here. So if we start talking about Adam, help me out. What's something coming up here in the near future for the schedule?
0: You tucking that fucking monster back in your pants.
1: Thank you. But like that will cover on the podcast.
0: I hope it covers on more than just the podcast. <laughs> Go to a doctor. Speaking of ooze. It's supposed to look like this. It's not supposed to fucking drip like that. <laughs> Christ. Anyways, uh speaking of fungi. <laughs> Hey do constructs fight to the death
1: uh I I think so yeah i creations would if you are if you are interrupting their loop their loop, 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 their loop they will go haywire until they're stopped
0: Thank you for listening to an it's a mimic production
1: okay, you're
0: done